Today we continue in Titus chapter 2, where Paul encourages Titus to instruct the church as in how to behave if they are followers of Jesus Christ. And we have to say it that way because there are some folks who are in church, but they are not the church, you know what I mean? Uh, that they have not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, yet you can see him at church all the time. So Paul, he encourages Titus on you know, how to instruct uh, the folks who are part of the body of Christ. And one of those issues, as we know, it is character. And character has been ignored uh, for several decades now, uh, specifically in our society, because uh, we want to be concerned more with the bottom line than the person. So because we as a nation that we have refused to properly deal with character and character issues, it is now bearing fruit. We are seeing it for ourselves in our leadership. We're seeing it for ourselves uh, in our churches and in our schools all over the place. Now, it, it is not that we who are leaders in the church that, uh, who, who love Jesus Christ that we want to see everything crumble and go to hell because we don't. We want to see things improve. Because just like you, we have a desire to see everything right in our society. This is why we are supposed to, as believers, seek the peace of the nation or the city where we live at. So if you are a Christian, you should not be damning to hell your mayor or your president or your governor or your alderman. Because as the leadership goes, oftentimes so goes the people. So our desire here within the church is to see peace in our nation. But we know that peace that if true peace is going to come, that it must come through the person of Jesus Christ. But know that true character, that it all starts with the church. If the church can't live in obedience to the words of the Lord, what true hope does the rest of the world have? If the church can't do it, how can the rest of the world have it. Now one of the things that I know for a fact, and this has been confirmed over and over again, that folks in their different walks of life and their different beliefs and what they believe, what peace really is, that they really don't have true peace. That oftentimes it's nothing but a facade. But we know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that from the moment that you have believed in Jesus Christ, that he has deposited his Holy Spirit in you. So you can walk in true peace with the Lord. Well, last time we began to talk about character, and specifically we dealt with our older men and our older women. Amen? And uh, some of them got so mad, they said, they're not coming to church today. 
And uh, some of our, uh, our, our younger folks, when they heard that I was going to be talking about them, they decided not to come to church today. Amen? But we move forward in the Word of God. And we begin today by speaking of the younger woman, what the younger woman should be. And uh, for the sake of uh, uh, just a little bit more context, let's read again uh, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes to Titus and he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Remember that from last time? Uh, not acting like the devil. Or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. So now we read here how Paul instructs Titus in the way that the younger women of the church should act. Young women, this is the way that you're supposed to act within the body of Christ. Now I know that some of you that you read some of that stuff, you, you say, oh no, not me. But I ask you to give me your ear. Notice first that it is the older woman who is supposed to train the younger woman. Amen? It's supposed to be the older woman who does what? Trains the younger woman. Now, does it say that her husband is supposed to train her? Does it say that her daddy is supposed to train her? Right? It doesn't say any of those things. It says that who the older, come on, woman is to train the younger woman. Now even though uh, this list of items, it does not initially appear in the list for the older women. We saw what the older women, what they were what supposed to be. It is very important that the older woman, uh, that if this is you, that you also must possess these characteristics. Amen? That you can't begin to teach a younger woman how to be this, that, or the other if you are not that yourself. How else will these younger women be able to learn? You see, if they can't learn from you, then what happens is they learn from society. If they can't learn how to be a good Christian woman within the church, then they learn how to be a woman of the world. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a woman of the world in, in, in terms of, of being a harlot or a prostitute or anything like that. Uh, it just simply means that, uh, that you learn to be a woman that have worldly ways. You see, what happens is 
when the world teaches you how to be a woman or a man, and then oftentimes it lays that foundation and it can be very difficult for you to get out of it unless the Holy Spirit does a work in your life. So remember that during these times that they didn't have any official schools, a woman could go and learn how to be a woman. In times past, and I'm not sure if they still exist, but in times past, there were things such as finishing schools. Have you heard of finishing schools before? If you're older, you may be familiar with that. Or you may have heard of things that was called charm schools. Remember that? Charm schools? Listen to this. These, well, they still have them, amen. These schools that they were designed to teach a young lady how to be a woman by learning social graces and for some, the rights of the upper class. And in fact, uh, some of these uh, finishing schools would go so far that they would teach a young lady how to get a husband. Now what on earth is a school in business doing in order to teach a young lady how to get a husband? Guess what? That should be for you, Mom. Guess what? That should be you, a woman who's a woman of the church, that you are the one that's supposed to be teaching the young ladies how to get a husband. Now, I know you may say to yourself, well, I don't have a husband myself. It doesn't matter, but you know what it takes to get a husband. Amen? In the name of Jesus Christ. So there is something inherently wrong uh, with this method in that it is solely about uh, how you appear on the outside. There's something wrong because maybe uh, many of those schools are designed only for a certain class of people. And so the problem with delegating responsibility, which should be the authority within the church, is that, again, we end up with young ladies, uh, for that matter, even young men, who have views that are widely divergent from those of God or from those of Scripture. And then we begin to wonder, why is it that our young men and women are leaving the church? Because we have not taught them, us men have not taught them how to be a man or how to be a husband. The ladies have not taught them, how do you be a lady? How do, you, how do you sit in a chair? What is the proper way of doing it? How do you carry yourself? You know, i tell you one thing about my wife. She knew how to be a lady because she bat those eyes at me, and I went running, boy. I, I, I was gone. I don't, know, I don't know who taught her how to bat her eyes, but man, oh man, it worked. So skirting the responsibility of developing our young men and women that it is a problem for the church and it is a problem for our homes as well. We think that just because we're so busy that we can uh, uh, delegate the depth of the responsibility and still hope our children will not uh, 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 neglect and reject the faith in the end. If you really consider it, you will understand why many people from our younger generation are so accepting of behavior that is so sinful. Why? Because it is 
them out there who's teaching them how to be men and women. That we ourselves have not stepped up. Uh, that men, uh, that we continue to be like Adam was in the garden, uh, that when, when Eve decides that she wants to take uh, of that fruit, that Adam had nothing to say. Adam, he knew what God had said. You can have all the, the things to eat in this garden, everything that you want, but this is the only thing that you cannot have. That as Eve began her uh, communication with the serpent, that he stood idly by. Now if you consider, I must say that oftentimes the church is misunderstood. Because the church is misunderstood as having ways or traditions that are simply old and antiquated. But know that God has known a long time ago how the world would go. So therefore, he has set the tracks in the ground. God has already placed the foundation within the soil of this world. And he said, this and only this is the way in which you are supposed to walk. Because the moment that you get off of it, then you're in trouble. So we need to make sure that others understand that we are not mean-spirited. That we are people who love and follow Jesus Christ. In fact, we want to love on you so much that we want to tell you about him at the same time. Tony Evans defines God's kingdom agenda as the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. The visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. In other words, the church has a responsibility and has that authority from God in order to speak in all things on the earth. Amen? That we should not be of those who just sit by all the time and have nothing to say. That our women need to speak to our young ladies. Amen. That our older men need to speak to our young men. Amen. Because God has an agenda and he wants to, he wants to influence all the minds and all the spirits. Especially those who call him Lord and Savior. A church which has Jesus Christ and God's word as its authority, that it should be directly influencing our life every single day. That it should influence how you study. That it should influence how you interact with people on the job, no matter how tough that it may be. That it should influence you on the decisions that you make, even with your money. That God wants to speak to us. But we find it difficult because our minds have not uh, been uh, transformed to that in which we understand. So when God makes a demand upon our life, we resist God because uh, we feel as if all of a sudden God and the church is now infringing upon our freedom. But you already know that where the Spirit of, of the Lord is, there is what? Uh, there is freedom, or that's, or, or that's where our liberty is. 
So regardless of what we think or what we experience, the responsibility that we have, uh, that uh, it does not negate that responsibility. Regardless of what you see in the world, that this world does not nullify God's desire for his people and for this earth. So irrespective of there being a few police officers who are a bad seed, that you still must submit to that authority. Amen? Because uh, the rest of them, uh, that they're still seeking for our good and seeking for our peace and our welfare. There are churches and church leaders that also seek your good and your welfare. And there's bad churches and there's bad leaders in churches. Amen? And you pick your job, that there are bad people on your jobs, aren't there? There are bad folks on your job. But the bottom line is that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that we don't consider you bad, so therefore we must understand that even within the church, that the church has that authority. That yes, we have the authority to speak into other people's lives. You have the authority to speak in the life of an unbeliever. You have the authority to speak into the life of a believer. God has given that to you. The question is, will you do it? Or will you be afraid? So, we're talking about young women and how they should be behave in the church. And we see that the responsibility, that it, that it falls upon our older women. Right? This is your responsibility. So how should a young woman behave in the context of their faith? Verse 4. They should love their husbands and children. Isn't that such a perplexing verse? That it says that the young woman, and, and understand this, by the way, that... Uh, just because you're a young woman, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be married. Amen? Just because you're an older woman, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be married. The same is true for men. You can be a young man and not be married. You can be an old man and not be married too. So right now, he's speaking of those who happen to be married and who happen to have children. So if you're not married, please read. If you are married, please read and listen. During some of these ancient times, there were people who were shunning marriages and refused to have children born into a family unit. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, people were preferring not to get married and have children anyway. 2,000 years ago? You, you mean to tell me? Two, over 2,000 years ago that people were preferring not to get married. Many of them preferred simply shacking up or not even doing that, just doing their dirt and going on about their business. So again, it's very easy to look at someone who is not married. and It's very easy uh, to envy them. If you are married, uh, you can look at someone who's not married and say, man, uh, I remember when life was so simple, right? I didn't have a husband or, or men. I didn't have a wife. Didn't have any kids all over the place. Didn't have the weight of the responsibility of having to cook for them. None of that stuff. 
Or men, you know, maybe you didn't have the responsibility of cooking for your wife. Amen? But for those who find themselves in that situation, uh, they must accept it, uh, that situation of being married. It is, uh, it is a season where God has placed you in for now. So just because a woman is married with children does not automatically mean that she loves her husband. Are you aware of that? Just because you see two people together, does, that does not mean that they love one another. But not to love their children, that the young women had to be taught to love their children. See, something in our minds is saying there's something amiss here. There's something that seems to be not right. Nevertheless, the older woman supposed to instruct the young woman to love her husband, to love her children. Now here's something very interesting that you, uh, you can't necessarily see within the text itself, but something that I will help you to see. That within this text itself, when it says that in verse 4, so train the young women to love their husband and children, that believe it or not, the word love is not separated out. What do you mean by that? You see, uh, the word love is combined with the word husband. The word love and husband is one word. There's another word. The word love and children, that is not two words. That is one word. It is a compound word. So love your husband is not three words, but one. And love your children, it is not three words, but one word. That compound word which combines love your husband is the word philandros. And that word which means to love your children is philateknos. And also, if you take a look at Titus chapter 1, verse 8. Titus chapter 1, verse 8. And it tells here that the elders, those who are aspiring to be elders in the church, verse 8, it says, but uh, these leaders, that they must be what? Hospitable. Here again, within, uh, within the context, the word hospitable is not the word hospitable, but it's actually a compound word. And it is philosenon, which means lover of strangers. And then it goes on, same thing in verse 8. Same thing in verse 8 of chapter 1. Hospitable, it says, now next, a lover of good. Uh, same thing, it is one word. Philagathon. One word. And here's a word uh, along the same lines, another compound word for which we're familiar with, is the word philosophy, which is the word what? It is love of wisdom, in essence. So these passages tell us that when we speak of love, that it has to be more than about romantic love, amen? And this is the point for pulling that out, that it, it must be more than erotic love, because... How can that be true with children, or how can that be true with, with, with strangers, or how can that be true with the word good? What Paul says here is that 
when a woman is to love her husband, when a woman is to love her children, that it is a love of dedication. It is a love of service and deep commitment to that individual or group of individuals. The same thing that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus, when he asked uh, uh, Peter, do you love me? What type of love was Jesus talking about? Of course, it was not romantic love. It was not erotic love. It was that other love, that love of, uh, of respect and deep appreciation for who that person is. So this woman is to love her husband. She used to love her children with the same dedication, the same service and deep commitment to that family unit. Going on, verse 5. Verse 5 uh, also tells us that this young woman should be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and here it is again. You just can't get away uh, from this regardless of where you turn in scriptures. And here it is. What is that word that some ladies don't like? Submissive to her own husband. Not to somebody else's husband. Amen? Because you got enough trouble in your own house, right? That you must be submissive to your own husband. Now, this is speaking to uh, uh, the, the, the young women. Is it also true of the older women, do you think? Uh, let's try it again. I, I heard some men say, yeah. Okay, so this is true, according to Scripture, uh, about the young women. Is this also true of the older women as well? Okay, let me try it one more time. We know it's true of the younger women. Is it also true of the older women? Yes. So, we're going to deal with some of these, and we're going to deal with self-control in one moment. Let's take the next one, that the young woman must be pure. That you, young lady, that you must be faultless in your morality. You must be faultless. That God wants you pure. He wants you, he wants you right in all that you do and what you think. If you recall the characteristic of the older woman, it stated that she must not be a slave to much wine. And not being a slave to much wine is a nice way of saying that, old lady, don't be an alcoholic. Old lady, don't be a drunkard. I love the way that Paul says it. He says, older, older woman, don't be a slave to much wine. The exact same thing can be said of the young woman who in turn represents not only her family, so if you're drunk, know that you're representing your family. If you're drunk, know that you're representing your church. That if you are lying, cheating, and stealing, know that you represent Jesus Christ. That you stand there and you're calling yourself a Christian young lady and people are looking at you and saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. If that's what Jesus has done in your life, I want nothing to do with Jesus. You must not bring disgrace on yourself or your family by being a liar, a cheater, or promiscuous. Being pure is also an attribute of God. 
It is an attribute of God in which he imparts upon he uh, he imparts upon us. He communicates to us. He gives to us. He allows us to be pure, but it's only possible through Jesus Christ. Next, a young woman should be working at home. So ladies, you can decide according to this passage that, you know what, I'm not going to work outside the house anymore, husband, so you need to get another job. But this is not a statement commanding a woman to remain barefoot, pregnant, and doing housework all the time. Amen? Uh, let's say this one more time. That this is not a command for the woman to be barefoot, pregnant, and always doing housework. That is not what Paul is saying. Much like being submissive to her husband, you must remember that you are also equal and created in the image of God and highly value that God loves you. God loves what you think about him. God loves what you think about your family. God loves what you think about yourself, especially and more importantly when it is all good. However, your husband is the spiritual head of the home in matters relating to spirituality and even the direction of the home. Now, this doesn't mean that you have no say-so in what goes on in your house because you do, amen? Now, think about it. If Eve was submissive to Adam, how could he allow her to go and eat of that fruit in the first place? Obviously, she had some authority, right? That Eve also had responsibility of helping to work the garden because remember, Adam was out there just working working on the farm every day. Adam was seeing all these, other, uh, all these other animals with their mate, and God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So in the older uh, King James version, it says, so God created a help meet for him, amen? Someone who, who came to help him uh, to do the work in which God had called them to do. So husbands, you would be a fool if you didn't listen to your wife in a whole bunch of points. Amen? Guys, I tell you, young men and old men, say it again, young men and old men, that you would be a stark nail fool if you didn't listen to your wife in a lot of points. But the problem in many households is that men have totally abdicated their roles and have become only income generation, generators. That for some men, that you, the only good that you are is, is just to bring the money home, to bring home the bacon. And for some men, you don't even bring home the bacon. But the woman or the wife, that you can have a job outside the home. Amen? There is no biblical precedent against it. Uh, uh, those specific decisions must be left in the hands of the married couple who knows their life before the Lord better than anyone else. So if a woman decides to stay at home, together we can say what? Amen. If a woman decides to go to work, together we can say amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my wife goes to work every day. Amen. I'm glad she goes to work. It's not that I want to get rid of her. No, that's, now what are you all laughing at? No, I'm, I don't want to get rid of her most of the time, but what I'm trying to say is that it is a good thing. It is a good thing. And we need my wife to go to work. 
Amen, hallelujah, and thank you, Jesus. At the end of the day, it's really about how you as a believing young woman present yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. Young ladies, whether you are married, whether you're thinking about getting married, whether it's not crossed your mind, wherever you are, wherever you fall into the spectrum, remember that you're supposed to be a glowing example of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That you won't even have to worry about trying to find the right man. That one day when you find yourself sold out for Jesus Christ, that you're going to walk and that man is going to look at you and he's going to say, good, hoogly boogly. Right? And he said, that's the woman for me because she is sold out for Christ. But if you have a chip on your shoulder, you better believe you uh, guys, you need to run. Uh, I told my young men that all the time. Look, if, if you come across a lady and she got a big block on her shoulder, no, I'm not talking about a physical block, but if she just got two, you need to run and you need to run fast. Because you don't want to be around any woman like that. So young women of God, you already know what we're looking for. You need to be godly, amen? You need to be in love with Jesus Christ, amen? You don't need to be a slanderer. Don't be a drunkard, right? Don't be lying, cheating, or stealing. Be honest in your life. And more importantly, again, I say, love Jesus Christ. Live your life for him. Likewise, men, you should be the same way. Titus chapter 2, verse 6. A young man. And here it is, young man. This is really great. You're going to love this. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled, period. Let's read that verse again. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Period. Younger men, that's all you get. That is all you get. And you can rejoice that there is no long list for you. There's a long list for the older men. There's a long list for the older women. There's a long list for the younger women. But for you, there is only one word, and that is to be self control. But even though there's one word, I want you to know I have a lot to say. And all of the instructions to be given to individual groups of Christians as Paul instructs Titus, only one word is used for the young man and that is guys, you need self-control. Now, does, does this mean that uh, the young ladies have less issues? Uh, the young men have less issues than the older men? Does this mean that uh, you, young man, you have less issues than the young lady? And I must ask this question. Do you think that a young man have less issues concerning their character than anybody else in the church? What do you think? Do you think it's true? <laughs> so the young man, you are instructed to have self-control. Now, this brings a very interesting point. Because 
Paul has insisted that every single group of believers for which he has addressed, that all of them have self-control. Titus chapter 1, verse 8. Titus chapter 1, verse 8. For the elders, but hospitable, a lover of good, here's the word, what? Self-control. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. What does he say there? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, and here's the word, what? Self-control. Verse 5. Verse 5. For the younger women, that they are to be what? Self-control. But we don't get it because they got self-control plus everything else, but yet the young men are still uh, only, they only have uh, just to be self-controlled. So first, let's start by looking at, very quickly, looking at this Greek word. So the idea behind uh, the Greek word for self-control is that of being sound in mind, or, or here it is, good mental health, amen? It, he's saying that you need to be good, have good Mental health. So directly connected with this is having sound judgment, being sensible, but just having plain old everyday ordinary good old sense. So uh, there is a clear, I'm not sure if you see it or not yet, but there is a clear undertone uh, of the word wisdom inherent in self-control. Older men and older women are oftentimes associated with that wisdom. Proverbs 20 and 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. And you know, I just want to thank the Lord for our older men with gray hair like Elder Davis in this place, amen, that I can look to him. I can look to him and say that uh, he has the, the splendor of old age is his gray hair. You and I, Brother Parker, we can look to him as being, exactly. That's why we can look to him because he has the hair and it is gray, so we can look to him. Amen. A young man is more interested in showing off what they can do. Oh, look at my muscle. I know some older men do that, but more so for the younger men, right? Oh, look at me. Look at me flip. Uh, look at me turn circles. Look how, look how, look how fast my car goes, right? Uh, uh, look, uh, look, at, look at me, me, me. Look at me. Uh, younger men like the me stuff. Uh, they are probably the inventors of the selfie, right? Uh, because they said, it's all about me, I understand. Well, we know it's true for the, uh, the young ladies as well. Even though all this stuff is around me, even though I see these grand mountains, and even though I see this, that it means nothing unless my picture is in it. If my mug is not in the picture, I don't even want to have it for my archive. So the young man is more interested in himself. That uh, There is a great element of pride within the young man. 
And no matter how you slice it, no matter how you shake it, you want to be seen. And when you can't be seen, you get mad. And then when you get mad, you don't want to do nothing. Because it's all about you, and you want to have it your way, or it's the highway. But a spiritually mature person understands full well that a younger person doesn't even know what they don't know. That a younger person doesn't even know what they don't know. So you, in your wisdom, older man or older woman, whoever you are, you help them to understand and move on. So what does it mean to have self-control? It means to have mastery over yourself. It means to have mastery over yourself. If you want to think about a selfie, here's a selfie, a self-mastery. Self-mastery is your selfie. When you are young, your mind tells you to do all kind of crazy things. And this is why you get into so much trouble. In fact, even when you are right when you're young, oftentimes you get in trouble. Been there, done that. You know, there's sometimes that even when you are right, you get in trouble. There's drama around you being right. Why is that? Because at the heart of things, you really don't know how to talk to people. At the heart of things, you, there's drama around you because you're really not listening. Every conversation that you may be involved in, every interaction that you have, uh, that there's always trouble. There's always something rotten in Denmark. Why? Because you don't have that self-control, that self-mastery over yourself, that sometimes you don't know when to close your mouth. For instance, when you need to make a point, you don't simply make that point, but you yell and scream. And even when it seems like you can't yell and scream, deep down on the inside, you're just boiling over. Because uh, you are not in laissez-faire. Just let do. Leave things alone. Let God deal with it. Maybe when you disagree, you always seem to want to fight or go ballistic in another way. <laughs> Quite a few young folks, and this goes for young men and young women, that the only thing that you have at the end of the day when you can't have your way is the nuclear option, which blows everything up. And I tell you that this is folly and useless in the world, especially a world that wants to have tolerance. If you wonder why trouble always seems to follow you, think about your self-control. Think about your refusal to be humble before someone that you don't even like. But when you think of self-control or even mastery over yourself, several things come to mind, young men. Number one, you need to gain self-control over your passions. And what I say here is also true of young folks, young ladies, and also for older men and women as well. But here, these are the things I think Paul has in mind for the young men. That as a young man, you need to have control over your passions. But it is more prevalent in our young because they seem to be more out of control. For instance, when you know that sex is an issue, don't place yourself in a situation 
where sex becomes an issue. Uh, let's try it again. Uh, here it is. Ladies, men, everybody, old, young alike. When you know that sex is an issue, don't put yourself in a situation where what? Sex becomes an issue. Okay, you know, your passion, okay. Uh, ladies, you may say, well, I don't care. That, that don't bother me. Okay, All right, here, here, here you go, ladies. If you know that shopping is an issue, don't put yourself in a situation where shopping becomes an issue. Right? It has to do with passion. Again, that innate passion, uh, those things that we want to do. So look, young men, if you know all the junk is on cable, you don't need to have cable. Amen? You probably need to be studying the Word of God, eating right, or, or, or doing other things as opposed to looking at TV anyway. But the bottom line is that when you place yourself in that situation, that it can stoke the fire of passion, which you will only seek to gratify. So for some of you, you may, ladies, you may need some, somebody to shop for you. Because you know that every time that you go shopping, you come out with a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't even need in the first place. Every time that you walk into the store, that all it does is stoke the fire of your passion for shopping and spending money. They're going on for young men. So not only your passions, but also that you must demonstrate your mastery and self-control by being responsible. This means you are becoming more and more responsible for your spiritual health. It is no longer the job of your parents, and it is not the job of your spouse to make sure that you are spiritually healthy. Amen? That is your job, young ladies, young men. Now remember now how we defined last week. Last week, we said that typically we talk, if you were maybe 44 and above, that qualify you as being older. But more importantly, if you are 50 or above, that that qualify you for being older. So today's message is for all you young ladies and all you young men who are 50 and below. 50 and below. So this message is for us. I'm, I must miss the Holy Spirit and hear something because all I know is there was a mass laugh and I didn't, I didn't laugh. I don't get it. You must learn, young men, to grow and to understand how God deals with you. Many of us, you, you ever notice that we've gone to church all of our life and we still don't even know how God deals with our life? We still can't, we can't discern how God speaks to us. Why is that? Why have you been in church for umpteen years and you don't even know how the Holy Spirit works in your life? Why is that? Why have you been going to church for so long if God is real, amen? We know that he speaks through his word, but he also speaks to our spirit as well. There's no question about that. There's no doubting that. But the bottom line is, why is it that you've been going to church for so long and you still not even know how the Holy Spirit deals with you? Huh. So you, young man, need to be responsible 
for your spiritual life. You must be responsible, young men, over your finances. You must learn how to save. You must learn how to budget. And your budget is not checking to see how much you got in the bank today to know how much you need to spend at the restaurant later. That is not your budget. Your budget is setting things forth. Uh, maybe for a year, this is how much I want to spend because I want to accomplish this particular goal. If you are under 50, you need to start preparing for retirement. Amen? So that's what we do. You also must, uh, young man, exercise control with your emotions. One of the trends that I have noticed among several group of people of our society is their stark impatience. I had an opportunity uh, a few months ago to speak to uh, about 200 pastors, and one of the things that uh, they wanted my input on is my thoughts about the millennial generation. And boy, did I have a lot to say. See, I've been studying this thing not only statistically, but also relationally as well, not only within our church, but in other environments all at the same time. And one of, the, one of the strands that I see all the way through is the lack of impatience. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier, that uh, you feel entitled, young man, because you want things to move at the pace that you have set forth. You see, w when God deals with you, that your plan is his plan. Say it again. When God deals with you, your plan is his plan. Now, you can go ahead and you can set all the plans that you need in place, and that's okay. But when the Holy Spirit comes to interject and say, no, that's not happening, then you have to be flexible. You need to have a heart of flesh to move how God is moving in your life. You must exercise control over your emotions. Reject anger and discontent, and learn how to be faithful. Young men and women, get control over yourself. Finally, self-control for everyone. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. All people who uh, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions are to live a self-controlled life. Again, uh, we were wondering all along why our understanding is it true for every case in the bottom line? It is for every single group in our church that we all need self-control. In Galatians 5, 22, 23, many of us know this very well, but it begins in 22 by saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here it is, what? 
self-controlled. But see, I, I don't understand. If you're telling me on the one hand, uh, uh, Paul is telling Titus that you must instruct the folks on how to have self-control, but here in, in Galatians chapter 5, it says it is the fruit of the Spirit, and that if self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, how can you instruct me in something that is the product of the Holy Spirit? You see? It is actually both. You see, oftentimes when we reject the notion of how the Spirit wants to build us up by, uh, by leading us in self-control, we can reject it. So there is a latency. There is uh, the seed of self-control has been sown in all of our hearts and minds. It's there. So you have it. The question is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to let that seed germinate in your heart. So Paul tells Titus that you have to encourage them. You have to be self-controlled. So what's happening is when you hear these words of self-control, the Holy Spirit is pouring water on self-control in your life. When you hear about the need to have self-control, the Holy Spirit is putting fertilizer on that self-control. And when the Holy Spirit puts water, puts the fertilizer on your self-control, that it has to grow. But see, prior to that, we are pushing it down. I don't need to have self-control. I can eat anything that I want to eat and think I'm going to be okay. I can drink anything I want to drink and think I'll be okay. I can steal, right? I can lie like a, and I can curse like a sailor. I can do all these things. I can live my life, I can eat, drink, and be merry and do what I want to do. But knowing all the time that you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the believers, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does grieving the Holy Spirit mean? It means doing those things that the Holy Spirit does not want you to do. Doing those things that the Holy Spirit does not want you to do. When you do those things, the Holy Spirit does not like it. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. So, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, I know we're focusing on young women and young men and the issue of self-control, but as the Holy Spirit speaks to us today about self-control, what particular is he talking about? What particular issue is he talking about in your life? We must consider it. Let's pray.